All right, well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling? Everybody having a good weekend so far? Hope so, hope so. Uh, if you're new with us, let me just say welcome. Uh, you're our honored guest if you're here for the first time or maybe the second time and you've just been kind of hanging out, worshiping incognito. Uh, we'd love to be able to meet you. Uh, I'm going to be out at the Connection Point, which is just outside these doors to the right, uh, these doors to the right. Uh, and uh, I'd love to be able to meet you there and uh, introduce myself and find out a little bit about you. Uh, let me encourage you, next weekend is going to be a Worship Together weekend, which means all of our, our, our students and our children are going to be in the worship services with us. Um, let me just share with you, sometimes people are like, well, I'm not going to church then because that's my only break for my kids all week, okay? And I understand, but listen, it's so, so important from time to time for your kids to see you and watch you worship because our kids learn a whole lot more from what we do than what we say many times. And so next weekend, use it as an opportunity when our, uh, the nursery will be open for babies, by the way, uh, but for, for our families, for our children, and for our students who are going to be in here, it's such an awesome time for them to be able to see you and watch you worship, and they learn from that. So let's enjoy that together next weekend as we worship together. But speaking of uh, babies and nurseries, we do have a nursing mother's room that's uh, just across from the restrooms on the right side of the foyer over there. Uh, for any moms that want to use that, feel free to do so. Uh, it's super nice. It's cozy. Sometimes I go in there and take naps between services. It's really nice. Uh, I don't. I'm just kidding. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, hope you guys are uh, enjoying the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, I know it's been kind of a sad couple of days for our Kansas teams. Uh, a KU fan told me that I need to draw attention to the fact that UC Irvine, which beat K-State, that their mascot is an anteater. <laughs> so that may be the first time in history that an anteater has ever conquered a wildcat. But I told him I would mention it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, my heart goes out to you. My Tar Heels also play today a little after one o'clock. So if you guys want to take some time and pray for them today, I would welcome that because God cares about basketball. Someone say amen. He does. I love this time of year. It's my favorite time of year. Oh, it's good. So, uh, hey, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series that's called Upside Down Kingdom, and we're taking some of the difficult teachings of Jesus that sometimes don't make sense. Uh, sometimes they make you kind of scratch your head and go, what is he talking about? Uh, that's what we're tackling in this series. And we've talked about things that maybe culture in Jesus' time and culture in our day today would say something to be true, and Jesus would take it, and he'd flip it upside on its head, and he would say, hey, this is actually what you ought to be doing, and this is actually how you ought to be living. And we've talked about this idea of what it means to lose your life in order to gain it. We've talked about what it means to be born again. And so uh, today we're actually going to tackle another topic. Um, and sometimes it can make us a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but it's, it's good for us to feel a little bit uncomfortable when it comes to things from God's Word, because that's how we change. Whenever we're, we're bristled and we're, we're roughed up a bit, that's when we're changed. And so um, I hope that God will take this message and use it uh, in your hearts and your lives today. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to open your Word. Um, would you use the power of your words um, that the Holy Spirit inspired so many years ago? Would you use it to impact our hearts today and this very moment, and uh, God will give you the glory for all that's accomplished through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we all, uh, we all love treasure hunts, don't we? Do you remember as kids doing treasure hunts? Uh, when I was a kid, we used, to, we used to run around in the red clay of North Carolina. That's what we have there. It's, it's really hard to grow things in that. Uh, this red tacky clay is what was in the ground. And we would, we would go out there and we would hunt and we would look for treasure and we'd often find the little quartz crystals, which we thought were diamonds. And we'd run inside and tell, hey, mom, I found a diamond. And she'd quickly like bring us back to earth and be like, yeah, that's just quartz. That's worth like less than a penny for that little chunk of, of gravel that you essentially have in your hand there. But there's been countless movies. There's been countless shows and things like that um, that have been uh, formulated and created talking about treasure hunts. And uh, this past week, as I was doing some research the last couple of weeks uh, on the message here, I actually came across some interesting legends about buried treasure right here in West Kansas. 
Did you guys know there was buried treasure here? I would have moved here a long time ago if I knew that was true. Um, Ellis, Kansas. This, I, I wrote a few of them down, okay? So Ellis, Kansas, about two hours northeast of here. Legend has it, in 1870, a railroad payroll of $22,000 was robbed from the Wells Fargo office at Ellis. According to the local legend, the money was stashed around the limestone banks of Big Creek just outside of town, and it was never recovered. Lakin, Kansas. Some of you guys live in Lakin, okay? Just, just uh, west of here. Legend has it that $24,000 in silver coins was buried in 1828 on Choteau Island in the Arkansas River, five miles southwest of Lakin. Now, apparently that little island's not there anymore because of some erosion and whatnot, but there's $24,000 over there up for grabs, guys. So you Lakin people, get a crew together. We'll get some shovels. We'll go after it. Does that sound good? Yeah, all right. Check out this next one. Lawrence, Kansas. Lawrence, Kansas. Legend has it, there used to be a college basketball team there. Uh, I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. I just couldn't resist. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, the Jayhawks got rocked last night. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, a couple hours. Uh, okay, legend has it. Uh, I'm all messed up now. Legend has it. Around 1862, an army paymaster was robbed of $195,000 in gold and silver coins while en route from Lawrence to Denver. And according to the legend, the coins are supposedly buried between two sycamore trees just to the south of Lawrence and Douglas County. Last one. Moreland, Kansas. is kind of up in that Ellis area. A couple hours north of here. Legend has it that a party of Spaniards or California gold miners threw a chest of treasure into the Solomon River that was never recovered when they were attacked by some Indians. Uh, some sources claim the treasure, which is now underground, dry ground, was a hoard of gold bars worth, get this, $400,000. We need to get an expedition together and go after this church. We could get a new building, at least part of a building with that. <laughs> now, what if I told you, what if I told you I had a treasure map that would lead you right to where that treasure was? Whether you want to say it out loud or not, something inside of you just went, yes, let's go right now. I've got my shovel in the back of my truck. Let's go. There's something in us, right, that wants treasure. There's something in us that wants more. We're wired in some way, some odd way to want more treasure, to want more money. If we want to use it in today's terms, we want to say it in that way. And no matter how much we get, no matter how much we scratch that itch, it still continues to itch, right? No matter how much we get, we continually want more. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing unless it is out of control. But why is it that we constantly want more treasure or more money? Well, there's plenty of reasons. A couple I want us to draw our attention to today. Um, I think the first one is, I think a lot of times we think that money brings us, number one, happiness. It brings us happiness. Now, that can come in a lot of different forms. That can come in things that you buy with your money that make you happy, right? And by the way, when we talk about money, I know everybody gets super uncomfortable. And I just saw like all the men reach and grab a hold of their wallet really tight. I just saw it happen, okay? It's okay. It's okay to feel uncomfortable, all right? But we got to talk about it because it's really, really important. When it, when it comes to money, we think it brings us happiness. And a lot of times we, we tie our happiness to our wealthiness, and it, again, it may come in many forms. It might be buying things. It may be uh, the status that your money affords you. It may be that people look at you like you're a success and you like having money because of that, and that makes you happy. You may get the approval of other people because you have money or because maybe you can buy certain things with your money and you have approval, and that makes you happy. But a lot of times we tie our happiness to our wealthiness because, you know, it's true. Money buys really nice things. Money buys cars, and money buys trucks, and money buys houses, and money buys second houses, and money lets us 
us take vacations, and it pays for hunting rifles, and it also pays for that expensive hobby, that hobby you love to do. Again, nothing wrong with me of these things unless it begins to get out of control. And so there's nothing wrong with money bringing us moments of joy or happiness, but we can't ultimately tie our happiness to our wealthiness. You guys with me? I think the other thing that uh, money attempts to do for us or in our minds why we want treasure or more is that it, money, this more than even happiness, money brings us security. It brings us this sense of safety and comfort and security. We believe that a greater paycheck gives us a greater protection. We believe a greater paycheck brings greater protection. Money makes us feel safe. And again, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with having some savings. Nothing at all wrong with having savings. There's nothing wrong if God's blessed you with a lot of income. That's a good thing. But are we using it in the way that God would intend for us to use it? But it makes us feel safe if we've got money. I can pay my bills, and I like being able to pay my bills because that keeps the debt collectors from chasing me down. I enjoy being able to pay my bills. I feel secure, and I feel safe. And when I don't have money, I don't feel secure, and I feel vulnerable. And nobody likes to feel vulnerable, Right? And so money gives us a sense of security. It makes us ultimately feel like we are in control, doesn't it? It gives us a sense of control. And again, in the right context, that's okay. But if that gets exaggerated, if that gets blown up, which is kind of what we're going to talk about today, it can be very, very dangerous. But at the end of the day, all of us do in some way believe that money brings us happiness and it brings us security and control. Our desire for money is something we all wrestle with, either all the time or from time to time, and it's definitely something we got to address as Jesus followers. Now, what's interesting about the New Testament is you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus actually talks more about money than any other topic. Can you believe that? Remember the parable we talked about a couple weeks ago, that guy who found the treasure? Uh, You guys might have been on spring break, but uh, that guy found a treasure in a field. Remember that guy? And Jesus tells that parable and he goes and he sells everything and he buys the field so he can have, have the treasure. It wasn't a real story. It was a parable. It was an illustration. Well, Jesus told a lot of those parables. Of the 38 parables that he told, 16 of them were about money and possessions. Get this one. One out of every 10 verses in the gospels is about money or possessions. That should make us sit up and take note, wouldn't you think? That should make us, make us aware that, wow, there's something to this whole thing. I mean, Jesus even taught in a, in a, in a place in the Gospels. We're not going to talk about this one today, but he says, hey, you can't serve God and money. It's impossible. You'll love the one and you'll hate the other. You'll hate one and love the other. He says you can't serve them both. And Jesus taught about it. He wasn't scared about it because Jesus knows the chief competitor for your heart is your money. The chief competitor for your heart is your money. Now, there's other things you can make gods of in this life. There's plenty of things you can make gods of with a little g in your life. But he knows that money has special grip. It has special uh, ability to wrap itself and entangle itself around our hearts and control us. And he knows that our hearts are connected to our wallets. And so today what we're going to do, and again, it'll make you a little uncomfortable, but I, but I, hope, it, I hope it stirs your heart. We're going to talk about a conversation that Jesus has with a, with a young man in Matthew chapter 19. So if you've got your Bibles or your smartphones, you can turn there now. We'll have it on the screens as well. There's also Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. I don't know if you knew those were there. If you came without a Bible and you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of those um, as our gift to you. Feel free to take one of those home with you and use that. Matthew 19, uh, 16. I love this story that we're given here. Uh, look at verse 16 and, and uh, we'll jump right in, okay? Just then, a man came up to Jesus and he asked Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, we don't know a whole lot about who this guy is. 
If you were here last week, we talked about a guy named Nicodemus, and we were given a specific name, a specific uh, group that he was a part of. You could historically fact-check that person. We're not given this guy's name. We're not given a whole lot of detail. If you were to go read Luke or Mark, a couple of the other gospel accounts of this, um, they include facts like Luke says that he was a ruler, okay, so we know that part of it. We do know we're going to eventually find out this guy was rich, okay, so he, was, he, was, he had a lot of things, he had a lot of possessions. So a lot of times you'll hear this story uh, called the story of the rich young ruler. If you've been in church for any period of time, you might have heard uh, that story, but we we don't know a lot about him, but what we do know is that he thinks there's something that he can do to earn eternal life. You saw what he said, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He says, what good thing, what good behavior, what good action, what spiritual thing, action outside of myself can I do to get eternal life? And what's interesting is this guy has paid special attention, strict attention, if you will, to the commands of God, but yet he still felt like he was missing something. Isn't this very similar to our guy Nicodemus that we talked about last week? Nicodemus was very much like this guy, and we're going to find out in a minute the things this guy's done. I'm going to, we're going to get there. But Nicodemus was very much the same way. Nicodemus had done all the right things. He kept the list of rules. Remember, there was like 600 and something of them for Pharisees. He kept all the rules. He knew the law front ways and back ways, and he kept them all. And yet he still had a void, and he came to Jesus. He said, what, what, what are you doing here, Jesus? Tell me more about yourself. That's exactly what this guy's doing this week. And so you'll see Jesus having these conversations all throughout the Gospels. And so when we see this, this ought to make us kind of sit up and take note. Look at verse 17. I love how Jesus responds to the guy. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. I love how Jesus responds to people with questions. I told, I told the last service, I said, Jesus answers questions with questions to make the person that asked the question question why they questioned him. Say that five times fast. Say that two times fast. I don't even know if I can say it again. Uh, but it's true. He would, he would respond with a question because Jesus knew what was in their heart. So many times throughout the Gospels in these conversations, it'll say, because Jesus knew what was in the heart of man right? He knew what they were getting at. He knew the motivation for their question. And so what he's doing is he's saying, hey, look, I'm going to answer you with a question so that you question what you just questioned me with. And he wants this guy to think. Now, his response is a little bit unique, especially when you think about the other teachings of Jesus, where we're told there's nothing we can do on our own to earn salvation. It's by faith, right? And it seems as though in this response that he gives that he's almost giving him a work salvation situation here. Hey, keep the commandments, but what he's actually doing is he's appealing to what this guy, he's kind of toying with this guy a little bit, and he's appealing with, uh, this, to this guy with the way the guy came to him. The man came to him being very moral and upright and having kept a lot of good commandments and done a lot of good things. And so Jesus says, hey, why are you calling me good? Why, why are you even addressing me about this? I mean, God's given us the law. Hey, it seems like keeping the commandments is working out pretty good for you. The way you get eternal life, go ahead, keep the commandments. See if you can do it. And what Jesus was alluding to was really the purpose for the law. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the people of God or the children of Israel were given uh, the law as sort of a schoolmaster, we're taught. Paul talks about that later on in some of, the, some of the epistles. He says the law was our schoolmaster. It was our teacher. The law was never meant for us to be able to keep it perfectly. What it was meant to do, the law was meant to point us to Jesus. So you could say the point of the law was to point us to Jesus. And so what he's saying here is this guy came to Jesus saying, I'm doing pretty good with the law, but I still feel like I'm missing something. So Jesus kind of leans into this and plays with him a little bit and says, well, hey, Who am I? God's the good when he's given us the law. You're doing all right on your own. Just keep keeping the commandments. And look what the guy says. He says, keep the commandments, verse 18 and 19. The guy goes, which ones? He inquired. He's like, I got this list, Jesus. I brought this list of all these things I've been doing. Which ones? Test me. Quiz me. I'm ready to go, okay? Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's noteworthy the list of commandments that Jesus gives are commands that have to do with the way we treat other people. He lists several from the Ten Commandments, which you may be familiar with. Even if you're not a churchgoer um, or a Christian yet, you probably know about the Ten Commandments. He lists a few of those. And then he also lists a conversation that happens later in, I think it's Matthew 22, where the Pharisees come to him and they try to trick him. And they say, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, the greatest commandment, they thought they were going to trap him. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And he says, uh, and the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's alluding to that. So he's kind of picked and choose some various ones, but they're all having to do with how you treat other people and what you do with your things and how you take those things and treat other people with those things. Now, the guy was probably disappointed. He was probably looking for some religious exercise that he could do. Um, as you look at religions across the world, there are various forms of penance in other religions, okay? Um, they're, they're, they're really odd ones. There's one uh, that I know of in particular where there's these, there's like hundreds or th- thousands of stone steps that these people have to crawl up on their bare knees until they bleed as penance, right? In order to gain favor with their God or in order to gain access into the kingdom. Crazy stuff like that. This guy, maybe he was expecting something like that. Maybe he was expecting Jesus to go, hey, if you do 20 Hail Marys, you're good, okay? If you do 20 Hail Marys, you'll be good. You're golden. Get, drop and give me 20, right? You know, that whole thing. It, but, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, no, no, no. He cuts right to the heart of the matter because he knows what's in this man's heart. He knows exactly what's in this man's heart. And so the guy was disappointed. And so the guy, he responds to Jesus. He says, hey, verse 20, Jesus, all these I've kept. Remember my list that I showed you? I, I had the list here. I, I've been keeping those things, and, and, I, and I think I'm doing pretty good, but what do I still lack? Excuse me, the young man says, I've kept them all, but something's still missing. Jesus answers, verse 21. If you want to be perfect, complete, he means. Not, not flawless, but complete. Or if you want to act in wholeheartedness towards God, this is where he cuts right to the heart. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions. Everybody says, sell your possessions. And give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Jesus knew what was in this man's heart. He knew what controlled him. It was his money, and it was his things. And so, even though this guy's come with this big list of things that he's done right, Jesus says, there's an area of the law that you've forgotten to keep, and it's the one that says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he knew this guy had made a god of his money. So he says, look, go sell all that, all your things, take all your money, and give it to the poor. And then he says, hey, then you're going to have treasure where it really counts in heaven. He says, if you'll go, if you're willing to do this, that's the heart of a Jesus follower to give. He says, then you'll have eternal life. Now, again, this is not some sort of work salvation. Jesus knows what's in this man's heart and he's playing into the conversation. You guys with me? Okay. He's not saying if you do this, that's what earns you favor with God. He's not saying that. But what he knows is this man is unwilling to let go of what God had blessed him with with his possessions. He had made a God of his wealth. And when he was faced with the challenge, he couldn't forsake that God. Look what it says in verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad. He just walks away. Jesus challenges what he does with his money and he walks away because it says he had great wealth. His wealth had such a hold on him that it held him back from following Jesus. Maybe I'm different than this guy, But what I see in this passage, I don't know if you ever thought about it this way before. Wouldn't you, if you were this guy, and if money really didn't have control over you and you were willing to part with some of it, wouldn't you have tried to negotiate with Jesus a little bit here? I'm a nego- I love negotiating. I love buying cars. I, I like going, like if you want to buy a car, people hate it. I like it. I like the tension. Like, no, I'll do this if you do this. Like, I'm good with that. I'm good with negotiating. Listen, I like it. 
I would have probably done that with Jesus here. If, if, if money truly didn't have its talons wrapped into my heart or clawed into my heart like this guy did, I would have tried to negotiate and say, wait, well, hey, Jesus, I know you're telling me to sell everything, but what if we went half? How about you meet me in the middle, okay? Meet me in the middle. How about if I sell and give away half of my stuff and I keep the other half for me? I'm good with losing part of it. This guy was so controlled by his money, he was unwilling to give any of it away. It owned him. And Jesus knew that. He knew he had made a God of his wealth. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and look what he says. Verse 23, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Actually, verse 24, again, I'll tell you, disciples, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says, it's hard. And then he uses that really weird phrase. He says, camel through the eye of a needle. Now, that's not a term we throw around pretty frequently, is it? Anybody use that phrase this past week? If you did, that's odd, okay? Don't use that phrase. That's weird. Uh, now, now uh, growing up, I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. I, I've heard various teachings on this before, and there's, there's this sort of religious legend going around, in all seriousness, that, uh, that this camel through the eye of a needle, that the eye of the needle was some small little cutout in a gate in the side of the city wall, and at night they would close the big gate for protection, and they would leave this small one open, and the gate was just big enough for a camel to unload everything off of it. The master would take everything off the camel. The camel would get down on all fours, and it would shimmy through this little opening, and that was what he was talking about. Well, you can poke a lot of holes in that, no pun intended, okay? And one of the biggest reasons is there's really no historical data to support any of that. All over, there's really none of it. Listen, what Jesus is doing, he's using hyperbole, okay? He's exaggerating to make a point. He literally means the eye of a sewing needle, okay? Ladies in here, men in here, anybody sew? I don't sew. You don't want me sewing. You don't want me cooking because you will look jacked up and your tummy will be hurting if you eat my food, okay? I don't know how to do it. But listen, he means the eye of a needle, the tiny eye of a needle, all right? It's easier for a camel, the largest beast in this culture that they would have been, been uh, open to and have seen and have experienced. It's harder for that to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He says, look, it's difficult for rich people to get in. Now, what's he saying here? Well, this is actually the first part of the upside-down teaching for the day. The first part of the teaching, Jesus flips the script on this guy with the conversation because in those days, rich people were viewed as those who were blessed and favored by God. As a matter of fact, many rabbis went around teaching those who were rich, who had lots of wealth, were blessed by God, and they were the most likely candidates to enter heaven. And so, and this guy's thinking, I got this all together. Now, he still felt a void in his life, right? But Jesus is saying, look, your riches are not what's getting your, you in the kingdom. They're actually what's keeping you from the kingdom. Your riches are actually a, a distraction for you spiritually. They're a hindrance to your spiritual progress. He says, look, I know the culture around you would say your riches are probably what's going to get you in, that you're favored by God. He said, but your riches are actually what's keeping you in the kingdom of God because they have control of your heart, which is a heavy teaching. And if we're honest with ourselves, many times we can get to that place too where money controls us. But Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter when he challenges what this guy does with his money because he knew this man's money controlled him. He knew that this young man's possessions had taken possession of him. He loved, this guy loved his money, remember? He wasn't willing to part with a single dollar. He wasn't willing to even negotiate with Jesus. He just walks away sad because he loved what his money did for him. He loved the status that it afforded him. He loved what he could buy with it. He loved the way people looked at him because he had it. He loved the security that it brought him. He loved the control that he had because he held on to all of it. 
And Jesus knew that. And he loved it so much that he was willing to walk away from Jesus. So here's the thing for us today. Listen close. I think for many of us as Jesus followers, and by the way, if you're not a Jesus follower today, this part of, the, this part of what we're talking about doesn't apply to you, okay? You get, that little, you get a little glimpse into a family meeting right now, okay, of what we as Christians believe we're called to do based on what God's word says. So if you're not a believer yet, you get a pass. You just get to kind of look in on this part of the conversation. But here's the thing, for us as Christians, if you're a Jesus follower and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, okay, you, you've accepted Christ as your savior, you've been baptized and you've put, made it public, listen, that, that's fine. And so for a lot of us, the money thing may not keep you out of the kingdom, but it keeps so many Christians from enjoying the blessings of the kingdom now. Think about that for a minute. It may not keep you from the kingdom like this man, even though it has the ability to keep people out. But it keeps you from enjoying some of the blessings of the kingdom of God now because we live greedily with our money. We hold on to it with a white knuckle grip so many times. Jesus knows that our possessions have the ability to take possession of us. Jesus knows our possessions have the ability to take possession of us. And this is why he set up this beautiful system called the tithe. Now listen to me close. Again, everybody's going to get all super uncomfortable right now, but it's okay. God has set up this idea of the tithe as sort of a health check for your heart is really what it is. And actually, we're going we're to find out in a few minutes, it's actually what's best for you. Sometimes when we start talking about giving and generosity and tithing, we're like, you just want something from me. No, no, no. Actually, this, I want something for you. I really do. All right, we've walked through this in our family. I've seen my parents walk through this uh, as I was growing up, and I've seen God be faithful, and I want you to get in on some of the blessings of the kingdom now. You guys with me? Everyone say amen. You want to hear the rest, or you want to just cut it off right here? Okay, all right. If we're uncomfortable, we'll just go home. That's okay. Look at Malachi 3 with me for a minute. We're going to put it on the screens for you. Malachi 3, verse 10. Um, This is an Old Testament prophet. Just so you know, in case you're unfamiliar with kind of how the books of the Bible go together, Malachi was a prophet. He was a person who heard from God, a word from God, and he took that word of God and took it to the people of God, okay? They didn't have the scriptures written down like we have right now. So in those days, God would speak a word to this guy named Malachi, or if you're Italian, he was Malachi, okay? He was Malachi, all right? The prophet, and he brought this word from God to the people, and this is what he says to the people of God. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Everyone say whole tithe. That there may be food in my house. Now, again, when we start talking about tithing, we're talking about giving and generosity. Everybody, oh, this guy's trying to pull money out of my mall. I'm not. I'm really not. But listen, this is a command that we've been given as children of God. Galatians 3 says that those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, even as New Testament believers, are now the children of God. So this applies for us as well. He says, bring the whole tithe. The tithe simply means 10% of your income. There's no way around it. You can try to, you know, negotiate your way around it. You can try to uh, argue. It means 10% of your income. It's very simple. It's very clear. And God set this up as a spiritual health check for our hearts because he knows money has a way of gripping us in a way nothing else in this life does. It can control us. It can cause us to put our security in that. Again, as I said a moment ago, he knows that our possessions have the ability to take possession of us, which is why he commands us, give back a tenth of your income. It'll keep your heart healthy. It's absolutely for you rather than from you. And a lot of people, you know, they say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. I don't need to do that. Because Listen, I've heard all the excuses, and I've probably made a lot of the excuses in my time, okay? I've made them all. But here's the thing. If you look at Matthew 23, I love the instance that there's another conversation Jesus has with some Pharisees. You'll notice he does a lot of talking with Pharisee and religious people in the New Testament. He really does. We've talked about a lot of them lately. In Matthew 23, you don't got to turn there. But Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is actually condemning the Pharisees for a lot of the things they're doing. And the situation is this. This is kind of a summary. They're tithing. They're 
doing all, they're keeping all the rules, and they've gone even further than just tithing on their income. These guys are tithing on their spice rack, Jesus says. He says, you're taking your spice rack, your mint and your dill and your cumin and your garlic powder and your kosher salt, because they were Jewish, it had to be kosher, okay? He, he said, you're taking a tenth of the things from your spice rack and you're giving them back to God. He says, but you're neglecting the, the things of mercy and justice and faithfulness. He's like, but what's interesting what he says, he goes, these things ought you to do, but not at the expense of neglecting mercy and justice and faithfulness. You guys with me? It's a confirmation of what we've been told in the Old Testament. He doesn't throw it out. He says, this is a confirmation. We ought to be giving generous people because at the end of the day, this is God's money anyway, am I right? Like we've been giving it to steward. It's not our money. God's given it to us as steward, to steward. And so we're to give back that tenth. He says here in Malachi, give back that tenth as a healthy heart check for your life. And Jesus does it. God does it here in the Old Testament for us because he knows our treasure will follow our heart. Our treasure will follow our heart. If we could get super uncomfortable and we took your bank, your online bank statement and we threw it up here on one of these screens, right? Yeah. Hey, if we threw it up there and we could, we could say, okay, what did you spend your money on first? What did you spend your money on most? What did you spend your money on consistently? You know what we'd find out really quick? What you value the most, where you draw your security from. We'd find out really quickly what it is you think makes you happy and comfortable and secure. We'd find out really quick what makes you feel like you're in control. Am I right? Because your treasure follows your heart. And Jesus knows this. He knows that our hearts are deceitful and they're wicked and they will run towards money and things that we can put our hands on and we'll try to grip a hold of them. And in the process, they'll grip a hold of us and they'll own us. And he doesn't want us to live there as believers. Jesus wants us to be free. He wants us to experience freedom. He wants to experience blessing in the kingdom now and not wait until we get to heaven. You guys with me? Someone say amen. Listen, he knows your possessions can take possession of you. Now listen, some people, when we start talking about this thing of giving, uh, they say, well, I give. And, we, and some people can actually tithe and give for the wrong reasons, believe it or not. Uh, I've been in church long enough to have seen this go down this way. People give because, well, I tithe so that I can stay in control in the church. I tithe so that my preferences can remain intact. I want things to be done my way, and so I'm going to give so that I can have some level of say or some level of control, which is absolutely wrong. Am I right? Now, the flip side of that control coin, the other side of that control coin is, so one side gives so they can keep control. The other side are the rest of us that struggle with being greedy and selfish. And and if we're really honest, we we say, I don't give because I want to keep control of my own money, right? I I want to control my life. I want to control my finances. So I'm not going to give, but it's both, it's two sides of the same coin of control. And that's God's point in this whole thing. This whole system that he set up is to keep us from placing our trust and keep us from allowing money to control our hearts. Does that make sense? You guys track it? Now listen, here's the question for you. We're almost done. Have your possessions taken possession of you? Think about it. You've got to be honest with yourself. Have your possessions taken possession of you? Now, maybe like this, you know, this young man here that we read about, the rich young ruler today, maybe for you, it's not keeping you out of the kingdom. Maybe you've trusted Christ, as I said earlier. But is it keeping you from experiencing some blessing inside the kingdom? Now, don't rob yourself of the privilege of giving. I'm telling you, listen, take it from a greedy, selfish sucker like your pastor. All right? That's okay. You can laugh. It's, it's okay. Look, we all wrestle with it. Let's just be honest about it. Look, all of us bristle at times when God calls us to give. 
All of us, when we've had a hard month and we know there's a lot of bills that are coming up, we all bristle and have a hard time doing this from time to time. But that's why God set it up, that we just do it. We, do, we give a tenth and it keeps our heart in check. But listen, you've got to be honest with yourself. Are your possessions possessing you? It may not keep you out of the kingdom, but it's keeping a lot of you from experiencing the blessings of the kingdom. Now look, here's what I love. Close your Bibles. We're almost done. The last part I want you to look at it on the screen with me. Listen, here's what I love about generosity and giving and tithing. Listen to me close. It's what's best for you. I said a little bit ago, I don't want anything from you. I want this for you. And I mean that. Giving and generosity is actually what's best for you. Now, I saved the last part of that Malachi passage till the end of this message intentionally. Look what the promise is in Malachi. You ready for this? Throw that up there for me, guys. Malachi 3, verses 10 through 11. The first part we've already read. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. What are the next two words? Say it loud. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. If God tells you to test him in some area, test him. He says, test me and see if I am not faithful. Look at the rest of it. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He says, look, if you'll be faithful and steward your finances wisely, if you will give back to me that 10% that I've prescribed for you to keep your heart healthy, it's not just a giving away of things. You're actually going to be blessed in return. Now listen, this is not prosperity preaching. I'm not telling you if you put a 50 in the plate, you're going to get 50,000 in the lottery next week. I'm not saying that, all right? So don't, don't take that away from here. But what I am telling you is the God of the universe, it says the Lord Almighty says, test me and I will bless you and I will take care of you. Someone say amen. Listen, this is from God. I didn't make this up. He says, look, if you will be faithful, if you will be filled with faith and and operate and give to me what is rightfully mine in the first place, I will take care of you and I will bless you and I will help meet your needs. It won't always be easy. Listen, I'm not going to paint too rosy of a picture. It won't always be easy. There'll be difficult months here and there. But operating under the blessing of God because you're giving and you're handling your finances wisely and stewarding well, there's blessing in that church. Now look what else he says. I love the last part of this verse. So he says, I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven. I'm going to pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. He says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now look, this is an agricultural culture right here. We feel a lot of that here, don't we? You know what it means to have pests up in your crops, right? You know about that. They destroy them. Listen to what God is saying. He says, if you will honor me with your finances, not only will I bless you and provide for you, but I'll protect the things that I've already provided for you. He says, your crops, I'm going to keep them from getting eaten down by pests if you will give to me. This means you can be a terrible farmer and God will take care of your crops. Let's put it into context for some of us who haven't grown up on a farm. This means God makes the water heater last longer that's on its last leg. 
I'm not exaggerating. This is what he says. He says, I'll prevent calamity from your crops is what he's talking about. Those things that you're worried about costing you all this money. He says, I'm going to take care of them if you'll honor me. Now listen, that doesn't mean you can't, you know, you need to change the filter in your AC unit, okay? You can't go 10 years and not change your filter, all right? It's going to tank on you. I'm not saying that. But what he's telling us is that if you'll honor me and be faithful with what you give and you'll tithe faithfully, he says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to keep those things that you worry about at bay for you. Someone say amen to that. That's a good God. That's a good Father. And it's completely upside-down thinking, isn't it, if you think about it? Because generosity actually creates security. Generosity and giving actually creates security. It's completely opposite to what culture would say. Culture says get all the money you can, get all the things you can, and keep them for yourself. But what this is telling us is that when we give away part of what we have back to God because it's his, that we actually get security in return. And that's the thing we wanted in the first place, isn't it? We wanted security in the beginning anyway. And God says, I will give it to you. You will operate under my favor and my blessing. My ministry will further God will do ministry through our church as you give. And listen, I'm not asking you to do anything I don't do. Me and all of our staff, we tithe. We give back to God because it's all about our hearts staying in check and not allowing our hearts to be controlled by our finances. So here's your question. Will you invite God into your finances? Invite God into your finances. And here's what's beautiful. When you invite God into your finances, those are no longer your financial problems. Those are God's financial problems. You're hooking up. You're, you're, you're linking up with the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills when you invite him into your budget. You guys with me? Listen, when you invite him in, when the water heater eventually does break, that's not your problem. That's God's problem. Right? When the AC unit breaks and you've got to call Tatro or Tatro, however you say it. Look, that's not saying amen, Justin. Listen, hey, look, that's not your problem. That's God's problem. Because you're no longer trying to go it alone. You've invited God in to your finances. Listen, for many of you, you've operated far too long being stingy and greedy. And listen, take it from your pastor who did it for a long time. God wants your heart. At the end of the day, it's really not even about a dollar amount. It's about your heart. And the enemy knows he can take a few greenbacks and put them in your back pocket. And he can control your life. And God says, no, no, no. Put your faith in me, not your money. Put your faith in me, not your pocketbook or your wallet. He says, putting your faith in me is going to bring blessing. It's going to bring protection. It's going to bring favor as we honor God with our finances. And let me encourage you with this as I finish. Listen, if the 10% thing feels like a lot, and it does sometimes. So I go online, I do our giving online. When I go in there, sometimes it feels like a lot depending on what I'm paying out that month already, when something breaks or whatever it is that I've got to pay for that month, the health expense. It feels like a lot. Start small, all right? Start small. Say, hey, start with 5% and just start consistently, faithfully, rhythmically giving and watch God bless you and take care of you. Look, when you go out to start and run a marathon, you don't just go out there and just run all those miles up front, do you? Okay? If I'm training for a marathon and I'm running, which by the way, if you see me running, you better run too because something's after us, okay? Listen, when you're training for a marathon, you don't just start out going and running however many, I don't even know how many miles it is. How many miles is it? 20-something? 26.2 miles. No, you start out small and you build to it. Let me encourage you. If you're looking for at least a little bit of out to test God, try it. 
Start out with 3%. Start out with 5%. I don't care because honestly, I care more about your heart than the dollar amount it is you're putting in the plate. You guys with me? Listen, take it from me. Don't live life being greedy and selfish and only worrying about your little kingdom. Enjoy some of the blessings and fruit of the kingdom of God as you give. And then watch how he blesses you. Church, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. So let's, as a church, stop treasure hunting and start releasing control of our treasure. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you humbled at how you've, you always seem to meet our needs. And God, as Americans, we are so blessed. God, we're among the richest people in the world. As we look across the globe, we're blessed with so many things. And God, would you help us to be able to give part of what you've blessed us with back to you? Because it's yours in the first place. Father, would you just combat the enemy right now who's trying to throw doubts, trying to throw excuses into the hearts of many of your people right now. Would you beat back the enemy right now and help our people to be obedient and faithful and experience the blessing of God in their life when it comes to their finances. God, for the first time this week, help people to go online and become givers. And God, just pour out that blessing like you've promised. Pour out that blessing that we won't even be able to measure it. You've blessed us so much spiritually, relationally, financially even. And Lord, we'll give you the glory for all that you do. God, we want to be a generous, giving church so that your mission can go forth here in Garden City and beyond. And God, we want to do it so that it keeps our hearts healthy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand up with us. We're going to sing in the last song. Listen, if God's dealt with your heart, you're free to use the front here to pray if you'd like. Me or some of the elders will be available to pray with you if you'd like. You can use your seat there as well. There's nothing special about an altar. If you want to pray there in your seats, feel free to do that as well. And uh, just do business with